Hello everyone, this is another episode of Employer Branding, the Inside Podcast. I'm Georgiana and today I'm talking to Sean McAuliffe. Welcome Sean, so good to see you and hear you actually today. Yeah, likewise Georgiana, thanks for having me on the show, really excited. Absolutely. And actually, Sean is the CEO of Huey.io, a company that's that's based in America. That's right. And who work and which works actually with people spread out the entire country. But please, Sean, maybe we, maybe you can quickly introduce yourself and tell us what Huey.io does. Sure. Yeah. My name's Sean McAuliffe, as you said. Um, I previously founded another company and, and went through a bunch of uh, mergers and, and acquisitions with that. And and from there, there was you know just a lot of frustration uh, going through that process. Um, you know, all of a sudden you go from forty people to one hundred twenty to two hundred something. It's it's kind of you know it can be very difficult to manage. So that's what inspired me to create Huey. So Huey's basically um, interactive org chart software uh, that's really meant for not only managers to use, but really for employees to use. So they can easily find you know who they need within the company. Um, really right at their fingertips rather than, you know, maybe spending an hour to solve a 10 minute problem as you might have in the past. So, uh, yeah, I was kind of inspired by some of my own frustrations and, and, uh, you know, hoping to solve a, a pain point in you know, modern business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, just so our guests know, this podcast talks mainly about company culture and maintaining company culture while working from you know, while working remotely, right? So then the, f- the first question that I'd like to ask is, what is it like to manage a team that's distributed all across the states? How can, yeah. how can you as management make sure that people, you know, still come first in this remote environment? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it can definitely be difficult. I mean, you know, uh, probably the difference here versus a lot of European countries is, you know, the time zones, which exactly. sounds minor. Um, but we have three, uh, basically three time zones. So, you know, the West coast can be three hours difference from the East coast. Um, and that's something that you really have to consider, um, you know, to put an example out there, uh, we had a sales manager who was on the West coast. We were an East coast business and most of the people he managed was on the East coast or in central. So sometimes it could create some difficulties. So. It's not that you can't make it work, but you really just have to be thoughtful about how you structure your day, how people structure their days to make sure that they're overlapping when they need to, you know, and and can actually connect. So that's one of the just kind of real basic complications that we get out here is just that spread of of time zone. Yes. Um, And, you know, the other thing is that, you know, it's hard to say, but some people just don't work well remotely. Right. Like there's some people that are great in the office, not great at home. And that's okay. But, you know, you can't deny that. Right. You kind of have to say, you know, you have to be upfront and say either, hey, like we need to figure something out because, um, you know, it seems like you're struggling. Right. What can we do to help? Um, So there's there's just a lot of different things that you know, come into play as, as you kind of work through this whole remote thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know, and I imagine actually that processes are almost as important as, as people and as working with people. But I'm wondering, how do you keep a balance between the two, between process and, and people actually? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard if you're going to prioritize one over the other. But 
kind of going back to my last point that if, if you're hiring remote, you know, you want to make sure that the people are going to do well and thrive in that remote environment um, and that they want to be there. Some people don't want to work remote. Right. And, and if if um, if the job's remote and they don't want to, you know, that's not really their thing. Don't try and force it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, because ultimately it, it just might not work. But to that degree, I think I think having a process for whether it's daily, weekly, biweekly touch bases and, yes. and team meetings and, mm-hmm. you know, trying to build the culture, right? Because with that remote thing, it's kind of difficult to do that and, and difficult to share it with new hires. Um, and that can only really be done by making sure that, you know, you're connected with those remote people. So um, there has to be the right people and then process behind it, definitely. What would you say are the two most essential things that a company manager and a team manager needs to know when working with a remote team? Yeah, I'd say if a company manager, um, you know, like for myself, I I started the company, my last company, um, you know, and I started it very small, you know, side gig, essentially in, in an apartment and eventually grew it to 40 people. And through that journey, uh, really what I learned, and I think what's critical is trust and trusting your people. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So if you hire them to do a job, it doesn't necessarily mean that you hire them to do it your way, right? You're, you're kind of, you have a goal, you want to get there. It doesn't have to be your path, right? So, so trust in their expertise and their skills um, to make their own path towards the same goal. Um, I think that's really, you know, something it took me a while to learn, but when I did learn that it really, uh, helped us scale and it just, you know, helped, uh, me as, as the founder, just, um, enjoy it more because I didn't have to make every decision anymore. I could trust in my people to make the decisions. So, um, I think that's really important as, as a, the manager of a company, um, in terms of like a team manager, uh, <clears throat> I think it's really, you know, staying in touch with your direct reports. Um, it's easy to kind of get your head down and work. Um, and then a couple of days might go by before you, mm-hmm. you know, touch base with, with one of your teams. So uh, I think that's really important is really just having a good cadence around keeping in touch, you know, staying a team and, um, you know, working to everybody's strengths. I totally agree. And I, I think especially during these very, very difficult and delicate times that we're living in right now, it's so important to have someone to just remember from time to time to ask you how you're really doing and how your day is going, if you're okay with everything that's happening. So Yes. Yeah, exactly. Not every uh, touch base has to be about work right? Mm-hmm. It could just be, you know, it should be a lot of times just a per, on a personal level, like you said, with everything that's been going on over the last couple of years, it's, it's, uh, it's easy to get lost there. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, when, when the time is really close knit, and there's a healthy company culture there, I think, eventually, the, the personal note inserts itself, at least a little bit in the conversation at some point. So yes, no, definitely. I agree. Sean, how does one manage a team properly through mergers and acquisitions? I'm I'm really curious because in in my time as you know as a student and during my first job I was working in a in a pharmaceutical company in Paris 
called Sanofi and then they merged with Aventis and suddenly they were called Sanofi Aventis and the culture was gone. And I was always wondering, what did the management do wrong? I mean, I know Sanofi was a corporation and probably processes and, I don't know, mergers and acquisitions aren't exactly the same. But how do you make sure the culture doesn't dilute in the process? Yeah, it's... It's definitely difficult. I mean, I've been through two mergers, you know, much smaller scale than that, I'm sure. But, um, you know, it, the, the cultures can dilute, uh, but also if it's done right, you can get new ideas, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It, it's possible, it's very possible that you can benefit both ways. Um, I can give an example where with the first merger that we went through, uh, the company we merged with was bigger, older, more established, more established processes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And they had core values. We didn't even have core values, you know, listed as a company culture at that point. You know, this was really early days for us. Um, And one thing that uh, they did or we did together is we added another core value that our team put in there, right? So that kind of helped build a cohesive team because now we felt like, okay, it's not they you know, overtook us and, and now we're just part of this thing. It's okay. We're a new thing together and we're taking, you know, the best of company a and the best of company, company B, B. Yep. putting it together and, and hopefully strengthening where we were both <laughs> weak. Right. So I think that it's definitely possible. And I've definitely seen, you know, you, you hear stories just like yours where the culture just completely, you know, dies. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but mm-hmm. I think, if done right, if there's, you know, a lot of communication, um, you know, a lot of open and honest talk, right. And, and uh, clear objectives and goals, um, you know, through whether it's town hall meetings or yes. like, you know, just get togethers like that, where, you know, the more information, the better is really kind of what it comes mm-hmm. down to. Yes. If, oh, if, yes. You're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because uh, you know you you find that I think, you know, management probably has known about the merger for a few months, right, before it's announced. So they've had time to digest it, right? They've had a few months to kind of understand what's happening. Whereas once it's announced to employees, it's still new for them for a few months, right? Um, so I think it's critical in those early days to really just have a lot of communication, a lot of open and honest Q and A, and 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 things like that. So. Um, there's, there's definitely the chance for dilution, but there's also a chance for, you know, one plus one equals three mm-hmm. type situations. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I think people are curious by nature, right? They always want, want to know what's going to happen next. Where will I be in this new equation? Will I be the That's same? That's exactly right. Will I be in a different position? So yes, absolutely. I think transparency and communication would have saved a lot in my, my personal story, but, um, yeah, it's. It's difficult, and I think the bigger the company, the more difficult it is. I, I agree, 100%. Sean, how important is a good employer brand for a company that works remotely? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very uh, critical. You know, the hard part is conveying it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, for instance, if you've traditionally been a, a um, in-person company, um, it's much easier to convey your, your employer brand, um, because 
you're near each other, you're, you're talking every day, you know, you're, you're going through it all together in the same space. Um, whereas remotely, I feel like it's, it's a lot more difficult. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think, you know, time needs to be set aside to kind of just network internally, you know, um, uh, you don't have those like water cooler moments, you know, uh, for the most, you know, as many as you would remotely as in person. So you kind of have to force them a little bit, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, so it, sometimes it could be, you know, maybe even a bit awkward if you're, you know, like, all right, we're going to just going to have a, a zoom call where we're just not going to talk about work. Right. Um, it, you are not, we're not going to talk about like specific things at work. Um, but I think it's really important. I mean, I think that's really, you know, one of the only ways to get that across. And if you don't get that across, I just don't think you'll get buy-in from employees. And, you know, obviously mm -hmm. if, you, <clears throat> if you don't get buy-in, then you, you're just not, your company's not running at its full potential. Right. And, and since you're the manager of, of Huey, of um, an organizational chart app, I'd like to know how, how can such a tool facilitate teamwork? Yeah. So for me, it, you know, kind of goes back to what, um, you were saying before that employees will can feel unsure of where they are in a company, especially after a merger or something like that. Um, or where you just have rapidly growing teams, uh, especially where it's kind of difficult to keep track of who's in the company, what do they do? Um, so the idea with the app, it was kind of through my own frustration is, you know, these things should be at employees' fingertips now, mm -hmm. right? Um, it, it, you shouldn't have to really log into another platform or, you know, whatever, just to, just to find the right people. So, um, that's why like with, with Huey, we built this, so it works within Slack, right? That's where employees uh, are spending a lot of their time, if not all their time sure. these days, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so right there, you know, you, you have, um, uh, you know, if someone has an issue, Hey, I need, a, I need to get something sorted out with 401k, right? You can easily just search there and find who is it that handles the 401k and reach out to them rather than spending an hour trying to do a 10 minute thing. Right. So mm -hmm. that was really the idea was try and keep teams agile, um, because as you grow kind of just things start to slow down, you know? Um, so yeah, you know, I'm not sure if that answers your question directly, but that was kind of the idea behind it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, it does. And that what I'd also like to know is which are the main departments that, that benefit from, from this tool? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think traditionally you think of org chart software, um, as like management's tool, mm -hmm. right? Human resources. Whether you, what's that? I'm sorry. Or, or human resources. Or human resources, right? Um, but you know, the way I kind of want to flip that and really make it the employee's tool, right? Everybody's tool. Um, you know, if you know, if you have a complete uh, vision of the company, you know, one, you'll feel more attached to it, right? Because it's completely open. Um, but especially in, a, in the modern world with hybrid and remote work, where you're not just a desk away or an office away from the people you need to talk to. Um, it's more important than ever than having that kind of quick and easy database of who you work with, what do they do? Um, so that's really what it was built for. You know, it's built for managers, of course, to use it and human resources, but really 
you know, it's built for um, employees, um, mm -hmm. all employees in every department. That's that was the idea behind it. Okay, now I have um, a question that's a little bit from a different register, so to say. You know, there's been a lot of talk about what people call the great resignation. And now I'm, you know, I'm sort of asking all of my guests what their take on this concept is. We also wrote a very extensive article and we, um, we published it on our site, but I'm really curious. What, what do you think about it? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, it's very interesting to see. Um, I think, you know, personally, I think what happened is uh, people were forced to spend a little bit more time at home or a lot more time at home, really. Um, and most people realized that they like seeing their family more and they like having a little bit more personal time, um, you know, and they don't necessarily want to go back to, you know, work above all else. Um, so I think that if you s probably compare companies that have a bit more of an open culture versus a, you know, work above all else culture. I, I would venture to guess that those companies that are a bit more open and, and have a little bit more flexible are seeing less of the great resignation than those sure. that um, mm -hmm. were more, you know, kind of hard driving. So, you know, I think you of course need to temper that to a degree, right? Like work has to happen and things need to get done and there's schedules and things, uh, you know, that, that just need to happen. Right. But but I think that what it will ultimately lead to is is let's just all workplaces being a little bit more flexible um, to employees, um, a little bit more understanding that people have personal lives that that you know they want to be a part of, um, and uh, and yeah, that's that's my take on it. You know, whether it's right or wrong, I don't know, but but uh, from my own personal experience, you know. Yeah, I like I like seeing my kids more. You know, I like picking them up from school every once in a while, right? So exactly. Um, yes. Yeah, that seems to be. I mean, it doesn't seem that complex to me, but but uh, yeah, time will tell. I, I agree too. I think it's it's all going to be about balance in in the way, and I think there there will be a new understanding of the concept of work life balance. Yeah, and I, you know, just to I guess expand one more thing is if you think about work. 10, 15, 20 years ago, it wasn't really with you all the time in your pocket, mm -hmm. you know, in your cell phone, right? right. So, exactly. you know, a, a giant shift has already happened over the last, you know, 20 years. And I think this is really just like a correction back to somewhere between where we were three years ago and where we were 20 years ago, you know, where, mm -hmm. okay, I, I don't need work to consume my life and be answering emails all night long, you know? Um, I feel like it's probably a bit of a correction there. Which is, yes, extremely beneficial. Agreed. Um, we're approaching the end of this episode, so I'd like to know what is one resource that's been crucial in your journey so far? Yeah, this, this is something that um, I only figured out later in my journey. Um, I wish I had figured it out earlier, but... Uh, really, that was connecting with a peer group um, mm -hmm. outside the organization. Um, yes. You know, uh, whether you're a manager or a founder, um, you know, there's things that you probably want to talk about that just to get off your chest or talk through that um, 
you know, you, you can't really talk about inside your company. And you know, so it's, it's just great to have sounding board of people who are going through similar things to work through whatever it is that you're dealing with. So um, it took me a little while to figure that out, but that's definitely something that I would encourage, you know, everyone to do is, is somehow find a peer group um, and just, yeah, connect and, and uh, you can really work through a lot that way. And, and it really just helps you understand better um, your situation because when you're inside of it, it's hard mm-hmm. to see it from the outside perspective. So you got to step outside and the only way to do that is by kind of talking through it with other people going through similar things, I think. Yes, this is very, very valuable advice. I completely second it. It's helped me as well, especially when I was when I was starting out. So, yes, thank you for it. Really, really useful. Yeah. Um, but before we end, I still have to ask you one question. I saw yes. in your LinkedIn profile, I saw two things, actually, that you have a new baby. Congratulations yes. for that. Thank you. And, thank you. Uh, as nice as new babies are, I still want to know how come the passion for um, sports, sports cars, actually, and car racing, where did it come from? Yeah, um, really, I think it probably started with my dad. We, we watched um, racing together a lot when I was younger. Um, he passed away when I was, when I was pretty young, but, um, and then from there, I just, I wanted to be a race car driver, like for my entire life. Um, okay. I had no history or connection to racing. No one in my family raced. Um, and it was one of these, uh, ridiculous goals that I just never let go of. Um, and it kind of was the Genesis for me, even starting my own business was, was, you know, how do I, how do I make enough money where I can go drive race cars essentially? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, I think, you know, it's, uh, it's been one of these silly goals that, um, that, uh, you know, you say when you're a kid, uh, I want to be a race car driver, but, uh, it, it's, it's stuck with me, with me and, and, you know, really helped, uh, helped me find success. So, yeah. Got it. Um, Sean, how can people reach you? Yeah, I think probably the best way is LinkedIn. Um, I believe it's just LinkedIn slash McAuliffe Sean. Um, that's that's probably the best way. Or, or they can reach out to me uh, by email, sean at huey.io. And Sean is spelled S-E-A-N. Super. Well, it was really nice talking to you today. I wish you good luck. In, in doing what, what you're doing with, with managing your remote team and with growing Huey as well. It was super nice. Thank you once again and hope to, to be in touch soon. Thanks, Regina. I had a great time. Thanks again. Thank you. This was Employer Branding, the Inside Podcast. You can find our podcasts on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and content on employer branding-related themes on employerbranding.tech. Until the next time, stay tuned. Bye.